DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to bring in Ben Anderson, Utah Jazz writer for KSLSports.com. Ben, good morning. Howdy, guys. So, a lot of cool things happened in that playoff game. Donovan Mitchell going for 57, overtime, the shootout down the stretch, the way Mitchell turned it on in the second quarter when the Jazz had a chance to get blown out after he'd had a bad first quarter, and he made sure that they were right there and slugging it out in the second quarter and setting the tone. But if you had to pick one thing, what's really stuck with you out of that game? Well, I mean, the 57 points are going to last for probably I, – I mean, I, I don't know if we're at a point where it's going to be a number that doesn't get reached again. I mean, clearly we see guys like Damian Lillard who will hit 50 points eight times in a season and can turn it on and could easily, honestly, get to 57 against this Lakers team who doesn't have a great to a perimeter defender right now. So I, I think it's significant. I think that's the number we're going to see because it's so hard to reach. I don't think it's going to be number three on this list the way right now it's Michael Jordan and Elgin Baylor and Charles Barkley and and Will Chamberlain. I don't think we're going to see that last as long as those numbers have since 1986. How much better have you seen Mitchell get here in the last couple weeks? Uh, I think he's healthy. I mean, I think that's really the majority of what it is. I I think late in the, uh, before the suspension of the NBA season, I think his legs look tired. I mean, the double clutch dunk that he had last night was just not something I think jazz fans had seen for a long time. The way he's tried to jump for some putback dunks. You remember early in his career against the Lakers when he kind of had that big breakout moment with the dunk and then the steal and the three-point shot. He he hadn't done that in February. And I don't know if it's all-star game. I don't know if it was last summer he was still working and just kind of hasn't had time off because he went and played in Australia and then went and played in China. I, I don't know if he's had four months off from basketball and I'm sure it's not the four months he wanted to have off but I think he's just come back and is fresh and I think he's just such a different player when he's fresh which is so much of why the Jazz have worked to put players around him that can limit his load management it also seems like for a lot of NBA players that was the offseason but in a normal offseason you know they get their own time away from coaches this was an offseason where coaches could still you know talk with them about video breakdown situations and all that kind of stuff you know work on the on the uh, the basketball IQ for lack of a better phrase and that seems to be paying off for multiple players. We've had multiple guests on and said, hey, you know, this is how the Clippers use the time. Uh, you know, clearly in, uh, in Denver, they got a young star on the rise and it benefited him. The Jazz have a young team that benefits a guy they got here in their third year. It seems like it's kind of a one-off. I don't know that it's going to happen again, but it seems like a lot of guys benefited from it. Yeah, I mean, and maybe specifically with young guys, I was curious how this was going to look if we were going to have rookies who came back and looked like sophomores and sophomores who came back and looked like third-year players and if they would have this weird jump. And maybe that's what Donovan Mitchell is doing right now. Maybe he is having this enormous jump. But I think the evidence against that is that you're having Mike Conley play significantly better, and maybe that's just the absence of a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich. But it does seem like, whether it's freshness, whether it was the ability to re just kind of get your mind back in the game in a different way, knowing you, you have a sprint for one of the first times in your life and not a marathon. It's the NBA season that the playoffs end after. Maybe that's why we're seeing the significantly higher level of play. But I, I do think there's certainly something about the break and the way the players kind of step back mid-season and come back and look at what worked well and then fix it on this back end that has produced, honestly, I think really good basketball. And also, maybe it's just the, the lack of pressure of having fans in the arena because look at shot making late in games it looks like shot making in a scrimmage when guys are running around and not playing a lot of defense and they are still playing defense and they're hitting these crazy shots 
I wonder if with less pressure of having fans there and every play feeling like it hangs on uh, in the balance because there's not that loud crowd noise, if we're seeing better performances. And that goes back to, you know, the, the Dallas-Portland game where those two were just exchanging unbelievable shots late and Damian Lillard going for 40 and 50 and 60. I, I wonder if some of that is what we're seeing. From the Jazz perspective, how much can you rationalize, hey, we had them right there, we let it slip away on a night in which they shot 50% from three. And so they're not going to do that that much, so we're in a good spot. I think you can do part of that. It's hard to say that and then also say, not say, well, Donovan Mitchell had 57 and you still didn't win that game. And I'm sure Denver will look at that and say, as long as we don't let him go off for 57, no one else on that roster is going to beat you offensively. So I think that's that's kind of a two-way street. But I think in the sense for the Jazz, there's certainly a lot to take from that that worked. And, you know, even Jamal Murray's not going to go 8 for 10 over the last eight minutes, including at one point over a two-minute stretch. He was accountable for 15 points from the 313 mark to the one-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That's not going to happen again. So you don't have to worry about that. They're not going to go four for four in overtime from the three-point line. I don't think you have to worry about that as much. And it is a make-or-miss league, as cliche and as annoying as that saying is. They made, and the Jazz didn't make enough last night, whether that was Jordan Clarkson and George Niang and Royce O'Neal combining to go three of 16 from the three-point line. Uh, they just didn't get enough shots to fall when they needed them, and, and, and that was an issue. And the problem is they can do that again. You know, There's no guarantee that they come back and, and go eight of 16 tomorrow. And that is the problem. I do think you probably feel pretty safe that Denver's not going to set another franchise record by hitting 22 threes in the next game. You know what else isn't going to happen? Jordan Clarkson isn't going to slip and fall, get up, (laughs) get away with a push-off, by the way. That was totally an extended forearm. He just got away with it. And then hit a ridiculous three fading away off one leg. That's not happening either. I actually don't know if that's true because he he does that seemingly (laughs) once every three or four games. He had another possession. I'm sure you remember. He probably spent 20 seconds on the clock dribbling, and he did the probe dribble, and then he came back out and then turned Mm -hmm. around and spun around and then dribbled back into the paint and did his little thing where he likes to run in. He has a defender's momentum on his hip, and then he kind of stops and turns around and throws in an easy little push shot. I mean, he's, he's really an incredibly skilled offensive player. He might be the Jazz most skilled offensive player. He's not as effective as Donovan Mitchell, but the number of moves he has just by being in the NBA so long and his kind of weird body type that forces him to do certain things uh, has has made him develop this kind of weird skill set similar to what, you know, Nikola Jokic has an unbelievable skill set just because his weird body type has forced him to shoot these one-footers. Jordan Clarkson really has a crazy shot-making ability and and maybe the the, the weirdest conscience of anyone on the Jazz who's willing to take a shot like that. The definition of point guard has changed dramatically over the last several years, obviously. But we see Mitchell embracing this role, especially with Conley out. Is that something they should do long term? Yeah, uh, it should be. And it, it's going to make – I'll be curious what types of phone calls the Jazz make this offseason. I don't think you try and move Mike Conley – I don't think it's moved Mike Conley at all costs. I think it's silly if you don't kick the tires and see if there's a team out there that feels like they desperately need a point guard, they're willing to shed $30 million off their books, and they want to throw you a couple of first-round draft picks. Because the Jazz right now are a little bit hamstrung in the future if they sign Rudy Gobert and sign Donovan Mitchell and then don't have the number of first-round draft picks that they would like to have because they're going to miss out on next year's because of the Mike Conley trade. They already traded... uh, Grayson Allen last year, and that's a young player that they don't have. You know, they traded a guy like Torian Prince, who would probably still be on this roster when they went out and got George Hill. So Brandon Clark, who's playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, who's so good, they lost him uh, this year in that trade, or Darius Baisley actually ended up being the pick, but that got traded. So they are lacking 
young first-round talent on contracts that they control for seven years. And if you don't have that, it gets really hard to become a championship contender because every good team hits randomly on a guy in the 20s or in the 30s. I know that's the second round, but has one of those guys that comes in and contribute. And it's why Oklahoma City is interesting because they went out and got a guy like Luke Dort who was unsigned and undrafted and turned him into a really good player. And so if you don't have that, there's really strong potential for you to struggle. And the Jazz don't have those draft picks other than the 23rd pick now coming up this season. You almost guaranteed you have to hit on that. And by having so few swings at the plate, you really limit your opportunity, I think, to have that success. So I think it would be smart for the Jazz to kick the tires, see if there's anybody out there who wants to take on Mike Conley at $30 million, and see if it makes sense. And certainly there's no gun to your head. You don't have to do it. But if there's the right situation, the right move, or someone just wants to get out of a little bit of a longer contract, at that type of money, it might be helpful. I, I get everything you said there, but the two things I'd say, one is, uh, I, thought the, I thought Conley was playing pretty well. Well, no, not pretty well. I think he was playing very well the last 12 games before everything stopped, and I thought he played well in the bubble until he left. So it's kind of like you've invested all this time getting him up to speed and comfortable scheme surroundings teammate all that now it's time to cash in on it so if the i mean if the deal's a home run you know you always upgrade but it it better be really good cuz they've invested a lot here and it seems like they've finally gotten to a good place yeah i agree i don't think you do it just because you feel like you have to i'm also a fan of teams that are smart and play the cards that they're dealt and don't say well we made this one decision and now we're going to see that through regardless yeah. and i think smart teams in the past have traditionally done that type of thing. And it doesn't always work out, and it's certainly not a perfect model. But I do think one of the cards are being played right now, and I don't think it's hard to see. I think it's really fair to say Donovan Mitchell is better playing that position. And I know the Jazz stretch of basketball was against not great opponents from December 4th when Mike Conley got hurt right before the Lakers game and January 16th when he came back. I think that was New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I don't think you can look at Donovan Mitchell there and say, no, that's not his best version. Because he did it last year, too. When Ricky Rubio got hurt and Dante Exum got hurt and Howell Neto got hurt and Donovan Mitchell had to take over a point guard in January, and all of a sudden the Jazz were fantastic again and went, whatever, 10-3 and three or 18-4. Or and four. They've gone on these crazy runs back-to-back, and then he has 57 against the Nuggets in the playoffs, and you just think, huh. And you know what the other problem is, ultimately, and I think it's a major issue, is how small that backcourt is with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, where if you put Donovan at the one and you can go get a guy who's, look at, you know, Torrey Craig, who I know was not great last night, but Torrey Craig last night uh, or throughout the season is 6'5", 6'6", I mean, maybe 6'4", but he's much bigger. He can defend most positions uh, in the backcourt. I think the Jazz might need a guy like that more importantly than they do necessarily at Mike Conley. Do you think there's a reluctance by Jazz management to put Donovan there? I don't think so. I think there might have been before now. I would be surprised if they were afraid to do it. I mean, at the latest, you're probably doing it after next season if you keep Mike Conley around and he expires. And maybe you even resign Mike Conley. So, so maybe at the moot point. But I, I, I don't think there's going to be the hesitancy to do it now because of how well he's played and because his passing has gotten so much better. And it was interesting to hear him and DJ to go back to your point of guys looking better and doing mm-hmm. homework and how they use this time. Donovan Mitchell a few times, you know, during the practices from late June to through July, really just said, I'm just working on my passing. I'm working on my vision. I want to get better. And I feel like I'm not seeing three times a game, two times a game, Rudy Gobert standing under the paint with his arms up saying, where's the ball? 
why am I not catching the ball right now? It feels like Donovan Mitchell's always delivering on that pass and finding shooters and recording, what do you have, seven assists last night. I, I think you're seeing those types of things more commonly from him that makes him look like a more of a modern point guard. So on your point as far as draft picks, uh, yes, you have to have inexpensive players in your rotation because you can't afford to pay everybody in your rotation. So the question is, any of these second-round picks, and I get the rules on them hitting free agency are different and can be problematic, but nonetheless, do you think they have inexpensive young talent in these guys that we've started to see in the bubble? Uh, and, and pick your favorite guy. I don't know if you like Morgan. I don't know if you like Mieoni, but whoever. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of what have you done for me lately because a couple of days ago you probably would have said Jarrell Brantley, and then after what Juan Morgan did last night, you really see, oh, that, that makes sense. And if that's a guy who can hit a corner three and then rebound as well as he did, well, the new 3 and D player isn't Royce O'Neal because every team has that guy. It's not like that's a unique thing to have. I and mean, Denver has four of those guys. Oklahoma City has four of those guys. It is this kind of power forward who rebounds and shoots threes. And it's not, you know, we used to talk about kind of these finesse big men that shoot threes, and, and they're still all over the league. And just the next development is that you have to be better than that. And so the next development is, okay, he plays really good defense. Now, Boyan Bogdanovich is such a good offensive player that he's not a great defender, but he's so good offensively, he's not going to get replaced by a guy like Jawan Morgan. But some of these guys, like Nemanja Bialica, who plays in Sacramento, who can't play any defense at all. Nicola Melli, who plays in New Orleans, who can't play any defense at all. Jawan Morgan, all of a sudden, if he can hit 40% on corner threes and then actually rebounds and plays a lot of defense and isn't getting four rebounds a night, is getting seven and eight, that's the next change in what this NBA cycle looks like. And they can guard two through five. And that's what's going to be really interesting, and that's got to be the next development. And I actually think you're seeing it with both Jawan Morgan and Jarrell Brantley. That's who those guys have to be. And Juwan, uh, Brantley's not a great defensive rebounder yet. Uh, it looks like Juwan Morgan has more skill than that. But Mia might fit, too. I mean, it's not hard to see. And I think the first time I saw it, you guys remember kind of the big drama midseason was Mieoni and Dante Exum got into a fight, and Dante Exum stormed out of the gym. And I remember looking at that and thinking, like, oh, Mieoni actually has more fight in him than I expected because he frustrated Dante Exum so bad that he left practice. So that's the thing I think you do want to see. And then he's really smart. He moves the ball well. He's not trying to put the ball on the ground, but he can tack a close out. And then he can shoot threes. It's not crazy to think he could be a better player two years from now than Royce O'Neal, just because he has a little bit of a more complete skill set and he's more skilled offensively. So I think they actually do have some young talent. I don't know if any of them are the sixth guy on your roster, and I think that's probably what you need. So I figure you're picking the Nuggets, but are you picking them in four and five and six? What do you think? I don't know if I'm picking the Nuggets yet. I mean, they've beat the Jazz four times in a row, and they keep being in these close games, and clearly they have the Jazz number. So I'm not ready to sink the Jazz quite yet. If they do beat them, I do think it's probably a six- or a seven-game series for Denver because I just don't – I can't imagine the Jazz being in this many close situations and never figuring out what's going wrong late and figuring out how to get over the hump once or twice or that the Jazz aren't going to have a game where they hit 22 threes, and I know they did that against – Denver last Saturday and then went for a, you know, that dead stretch over the fourth quarter over the last six minutes that put the game to double overtime. I have a hard time imagining the Jazz aren't going to win a game just by shooting and then win a game just by the talent they have on the floor. So I think you're going to get two games from that. So I think at the shortest is six. But, man, if Denver keeps playing well, if Jamal Murray's taking this next step, they, they get really hard to beat. Ben, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again. All right, guys. Thanks. 
Ben Anderson, Utah Jazz writer, KSLSports.com, join us. And, of course, uh, jazz pre-half and post-game shows all during the regular season. It's kind of a different deal here in the bubble. Playing these 2 o'clock games, you basically just go into the big show. But I expect you'll hear Ben back on the jazz pre-half and post at some point. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we catch you up to speed next. Stay with us. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jazz lose 135-125 in OT despite a 57-point game from Donovan Mitchell. Game two in the series tomorrow at 2 o'clock on TNT. Pre-game will begin at 1 o'clock on the Zone Sports Network. Elsewhere on the opening day of the NBA playoffs, Kristaps Porzingis ejected in the third quarter after two technicals, two separate incidences, and with him gone, the Clippers took control of the game and beat the Mavericks 118-110. to Luka Doncic, 42 points, but also 11 turnovers. In the East, pretty predictable. Second-seeded Raptors blew up the Nets 134-110. Third-seeded Celtics beat the Sixers 109-101. Gordon Hayward seen leaving the arena on crutches. Sprained ankle expected to have an MRI today. Four playoff games today. The matchups in the West are the later games, Thunder and Rockets on TNT at 4.30. Blazers and Lakers tonight at 7 o'clock on TNT. Your Back to Basketball update is presented by Zions Bank on the Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It's been a long four months. Welcome back. Don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Murray to the basket, attacking Donovan. Misses, offensive rebound, Murray. Back out to Morris, oh boy, dagger three. Got it all, that hurts. Murray playing one-on-one with Ingles. Murray, top of the Keith jumper. Good, he's been equally as good as Donovan Mitchell. Yes, he has. Just brilliant. David Locke on the call as the Denver Nuggets find a way to win another close game from the Utah Jazz. They've now played four times. They've all been close. They've all been competitive. They've come down to the end, and Denver's found a way to win every time. But Donovan Mitchell catching everybody's eye after a two-point first quarter. He has 51 at the end of regulation and 57 in the game. And PK, there was no way to watch that and not think, my gosh, I already think this guy is awesome, and he's taking it to another level. Oh, totally, man. You take out that first quarter, he scored 55 points. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Coach. The double nickel. Right. Think about that. 55. And most impressively, he had, uh, what do you have? I think he had 16 points in the last six and a half minutes of that fourth quarter. This is the fourth quarter of the game do. on the line. Just crushing it. Now, in overtime, he didn't score until it was basically decided. They had a series of turnovers, and that ended pretty quickly in overtime. Yeah, the, the overtime, all I could think of was they ran out of gas. and 
it's uh, you, Denver had the momentum for. Well, it's crazy to think that Denver had the momentum, but nevertheless they did. What what they had was Jamal Murray and Jokic, knowing that Murray was really hot. And hey, and if Murray isn't doing it, we still got Jokic. Yeah, we don't even really need Jokic, and he's our best player. You know, one thing we haven't talked about this morning, so it's not just a recap, people. You're getting something brand new here. Uh, the most Rudy of Rudy possessions in the third quarter when he's challenging multiple guys at the rim and winning and then celebrating. But even better, I thought on the last play of the fourth quarter with the game tied, Jokic got a step on him, had him beat. And Rudy somehow recovered and still got up, challenged, and absolutely changed that. He didn't block it, but he absolutely changed that last shot. That wasn't, Jokic wasn't close to making that shot. Which is why I thought he should have taken the shot from the perimeter earlier. I thought that was the better shot. But, you know, it's easy to sit there and second guess in real time. You have to make those decisions in an instant, obviously. And he decided to put the ball on the floor, and it didn't work out. And, and in that situation, without Jokic having his back to the basket and having time being an issue, if I'm the Jazz, that's something that I want. I want Jokic driving to the basket under duress as far as the shot, or not just the shot clock, but the game clock. And I think that's set up better. Whereas if he can maneuver and sort of Charles Barkley back his way into it and have options. That, yeah, you hate that. You know, <laughs> hate that. He's, he's going to score on that. <laughs> yeah, or somebody is. Yes, and, right. And we're going to get a great shot. But uh, it, he put, chose to put the ball on the floor, and I thought that was playing into Rudy's hands which is exactly what you want. But, you know, you're making those decisions in the moment and you're trying to do what you think is best right there. So I don't question him and his decision-making. He's trying to do something, and ultimately they won the game, so it didn't matter. But I just think that as far as the Jazz perspective goes, that I feel better about them winning the series now than I did this time yesterday, even though they now have to win four out of six as opposed to four out of seven and they've lost all f- they've lost four games to these guys so mathematically it doesn't look good i understand that but the way they play now because you got two games in a row and one was with conley so you really can't count that because this was without mike and if they can find a way to win do they get mike back for game three does he get back for game four that that would man if they could pull off a win just one win yeah that gives them a boost yeah if they were to win one of the, if, if they won say Wednesday and lost Friday and he was back for Sunday if you got Conley back at two one and if you won the Sunday game you're two two you feel great Definitely. like they missed their chance. They should have thrown the knockout punch, and we were shorthanded. But Mike's back now. You could see, and you know, they don't have the mind games that go with the home road and the crowd and the travel and elevation. Although these two teams both have elevations, so it kind of cancels out a little bit. But in most playoff series with the Jazz, you have that where you know a lot of people just don't like coming and playing here at elevation. Um, You'd still have that mind game and that pressure of the expectations. You know, Denver should win the series. They should have dominated when Conley wasn't there. But, you know, that's also a lot of ifs to throw up. You know, we don't know that he's going to be back for Game 3 or Game 4 or Game 5. At least I don't. I don't think you and do either. And I hate up-chucking ifs. That's one of the <laughs> I, hate. I do not like throwing up ifs. Up-chucking ifs. Yeah. 
The other big NBA story, the East games are just kind of what you expect. The Raptors and Celtics, the two and three seed, and they, they won. Hayward did get hurt, so I guess that's a little bit of a storyline in Boston. We don't know how bad MRI and all that. But clearly the other story was Porzingis getting kicked out in the third quarter of a game. Uh, Dallas was right there with the Clippers, and there's no telling who would have won it. I mean, it was going back and forth. They were literally exchanging the lead back and forth, and he gets kicked out. Either one of them, by the letter of the law, is a T, but both of them together, none of them were, neither of them was egregious. On the first one, he did throw his arm, which you're not supposed to do, and that's supposed to be a T. And then in the second one, you know, he stepped in between two players and delivered a little bit of a shove. But you, you're not supposed to kick out players of that status in a playoff game. They're supposed to be on the court. You're going to find no argument with me, man. I just didn't – on its own, given the fact that the man had a T already against him, it just didn't merit a, an ejection. I just, I just don't see it. I think you've got to be aware of the circumstances. The Im- implication and impact on a team is too great. It was just – my gosh, it was just a little pushing and shoving. I mean, yeah. it wasn't even really like a full – extension to where your your open-faced hands start back at your chest and you extend your elbows all the way out. We know what a push is. And, and, and it wasn't really that. It was two guys and a couple other guys got in there. And I actually even thought that the, the coaches, it seemed like there was 10 coaches on blue shirts running out on the floor. I thought that that was... A little extreme because the reality is the players know full well what's at stake and they know how to police themselves in a playoff game. How many punches are thrown in a playoff game? I don't know how many punches I've seen thrown in the NBA in the last 10 years. Not very many. Uh, You can go overboard and in a regular season and you're trying to make a point and we've seen guys get ejected. We have and we've seen them get ejected but I don't know for a punch. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, not literally a punch, right, yeah. but more physical aggression, short a, of a punch. A harder because shot. we know a punch. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, because we know literally punch ejection. No, there's just no two well, ways since, about it. Since the malice in the palace, that was clearly everybody walked away from that after watching that video thing, and that can't happen. And I agree with that. Right, I agree with that. No, there's no reason these massive men who are in such close quarters, it's too dangerous. Going back to Rudy Tomjanovich and, and Kermit Washington, we cannot have that. They're, they're too big to be doing that stuff. And so that was great. But this other stuff here, of uh, and you take a step out on the floor, and you're gone. Like, so if you cross this, it's like freaking Field of Dreams. You cross this line, man. You're in a cornfield, and you're not coming back. I mean, it's just it's too stupid. You know, I get it in the regular season because one game doesn't mean jack in the regular season. But in the postseason, no. We saw it a couple years back with Phoenix, oh, several years ago now, with uh, a Stoudemire and DL gift-wrapping a, a a ship for uh, the, the Spurs. Spurs got two bogus ships now that I think about it. The strike lockout year, whoever it was, and that one against Phoenix. That's crap. Take two away. Now they only have three. That's the way I'm thinking from here on out. Thank you for bringing that up, DJ. 
College football, BYU is expected to play Army in West Point September 19th. The report's about that. Jay Drew is reporting the Black Knights will make a return trip to Provo in the future as part of the series agreement. This kind of parallels the deal that BYU cut with Navy. It makes total sense. Army's an independent like BYU. They've got four games. I, I don't have a good idea here. It seems like everyone is kind of focused on a 10-game season. Maybe the ACC will end up playing 11. But the... The um, SEC and the Big 12 are both looking at 10-game seasons. I don't know that the independents can get to 10, you know, 5, 6, 7, whatever. I wondered if BYU and Army would go home and home this year, and apparently they're not going to. But I wondered if it would be kind of an NFL divisional-type series where they'd play in September and then play later again in November. Apparently not. And, and maybe we'll see BYU announce a whole series of games here, but uh, it, it seems to be progressing slowly. Well, I don't think that by slowly you mean in a good way, not as a negative way. What, uh, well, I just expected an announcement sooner. I, I'm of the opinion... Oh, you do that, mean in a negative way. I'm of the opinion that ESPN... Um, well, the, the college networks, ESPN and FS1, both make money off playing, off having four games televised in a day. And that fourth time slot... You need the game, unless they do something really crazy with the Big 12, which I guess I shouldn't rule out. Maybe they'll kick off games at 9 o'clock local time in Texas and Oklahoma. But setting that aside, you need games in the Pacific time zone and in the Mountain time zone. And right now, the only team that's playing for sure in either one of those time zones is BYU. Maybe Air Force is going to play a couple games with the military academies. I thought they were. Now I'm not clear that they're going to. But even so, one of them would be on the road. So that's only one game. So I'm thinking ESPN and BYU are scrambling to get the Cougars home games. I'm assuming that. Now maybe nobody wants to travel in 2020. And so maybe it's not going to happen. But I really did think that it's in ESPN's best interest to put some football games in Provo. I mean, it just it makes sense. It makes money. How many times have we said or been told, follow the money? Well, it's obvious that makes money. It's a good thing for ESPN to have home games in Provo, especially in 2020. So what you're saying is, oh, I think they'll get enough home games, but you're saying all of them will be 8 o'clock starts then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would absolutely assume that. I'd be shocked if they get a 130 because they can plug any other game from even Conference USA and the AAC, but certainly whatever other games they can get from the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC. Now, if one or two of those leagues shuts down and the others keep going, maybe there literally wouldn't be enough games they'd get a day game. But I would absolutely be anticipating night games in Provo. I believe through uh, certain conversations that BYU is not concerned about the number of games. They're for, far more concerned about if the games will be played. Well, yeah, I get that. Um, you know, I think we're at the point where, you know, no game happens until they actually line up and kick it off. You know, and, and up until then, if you decide to cancel it for whatever reason, I think, you know, there might be some complaints, but largely I think people will get it. You know, they've seen enough games canceled. And I think the same thing can happen in the NFL. You know, we're seeing it in Major League Baseball. If they call off a game or a series here or there, you don't like it, but it's just the way it is right now, and you just roll with it. Yeah, uh, if you're just, uh, there's enough games where you just turn your attention to somebody else. If you're a Cardinals fan in, in baseball. I mean, right. You know, yeah, I assume the Cardinals fans just, just watch a Cub game and root against the Cubs. because We just went on. Yeah. And now they're playing a bunch of seven-inning doubleheaders and, to catch up. Uh, and, and so as far as the Cougars, they'll have the games. And then it's just a matter of whether they can. So you think they're still going to schedule ten games? BYU? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So it's just they're they're basically waiting to get all the ducks in a row here, but the the announcements will flow because I kind of expected they would have announced. There aren't that many possibilities, you know. There aren't, but I guess they still have to you know take them off one at a time. And Tom would certainly want to keep keep his options open for the best games until he knows he can't well, happen. You see, that's the thing is it's not just one at a time. I know what you're getting. But the reality is it's going to be at least a two-game schedule, a commitment contract. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, So, sure. But one that, for this year. That causes more time in the progression of trying to figure it all out. Yeah. So that's why they're not just releasing stuff right now is that they want, okay, we've entered into agreements here. Because BYU, they're not in a conference, and they're not scheduled to be in a conference in 2026. Hopefully they are, but the, right now they're not. And then with that, you have to go through getting a contract. Well, suppose we are. What is the out if we're in a – so it adds to the complications. So sure. You say, Army, you want to play? Yeah, well, we got six <laughs> weeks open this year. Let's oh. pick one. Okay, yeah. And then two hours later, you make an announcement. It doesn't work that way because they're trying to get a game back. Back, depending yeah. on where the as well they should game is right and then you know if BYU should be in a conference or if Army should be in a conference I mean who knows it's just it's a waste of time to try to predict it's fun but it's also fruitless as far as uh, trying to predict what's going to be the landscape of conferences in 2026 and I, I picked that because I believe that is that's when the Navy return game is yeah. Off the top of my head. Yeah, I think you're right. On that, but it yeah. is. You are right. So it is then. That's going to take. You can see where that that's going. That's going to be a cumbersome affair in getting uh, contracts well, I, involved. You know, I, I think that you definitely got to use this to your advantage for all the disadvantages that this year is providing to the degree that it helps BYU schedule future games against teams that they might not be able to get games with. You know, Tom right. said forever he's wanted to play military academies and he's scheduling 12 games a year and he's not scheduling military academies. So I assume that's because they didn't want to play him. You know, and now they need to slash want to. So great, leverage it and get the second game out there. You know, yeah, and I think a military academy is an, an excellent op- uh, opportunity option. Is what I wanted to say for uh, BYU. You know, I, I think to me, it's somehow it's better than Middle Tennessee State. It is better than Middle Tennessee State. Whatever. They have much better reps and history and game day atmospheres. I would rather watch BYU Navy and BYU Army. 50 times to watch BYU Middle Tennessee State. Uh, to me, that's a slam dunk, easy decision, easy choice. The, the, the catch is you got to get the other guys to agree. And like you say, you got to figure out where that other game goes, you know, way down the line. Right. And that's where so. I think the BYU coaches feel confident that there'll be games and they can't say anything. Uh, officially, obviously, until it is literally. I, I did. I did see that in the availability last Friday that Aklani had his body language when he was talking about. I'm not worried. Right. You know, I'm not worried. Well, you're without your quarterback and your wide receiver and your running back, so you probably ought to be. But they have to say they're not. Right. Well, we got no chance. So they just say it. But you can tell from the body language they don't really believe it. But when he said it, his body language was like. I can't blurt it out. It's not my job, but I know what Tom's doing. You know, Tom, Tom inevitably said, "Hey, we're thinking about playing so and so on such and such a date," and he's got a heads up. It's not done, so you know he's got to let somebody yeah, else announce. Here's what we're working on, right? And so yeah. yeah, I think they'll get it done. The big issue is, uh, will they I be able to play it when October they'll play gets here? Games, but how many games? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, there's no way of knowing. It's everything that goes on with their team, but it's everything that goes on with the opponent, too. So, you know, the opponent could call and say, hey, we got all these positive tests and we're not playing. Well, so. I know the Cougars will be clean because they're a clean bunch, as Gordon would say. Down there. 
<laughs> Yuck. Would you like to say anything now, Yuck? Well, that's just exactly what Gordon says down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> down there in Provo. <laughs> but he, he, he always, down there. Okay. Down there. It's not, uh, it's not, uh, he doesn't say up there for Utah State and Weber, nor does he say over there for uh, Utah. It's always <laughs> down there. <laughs> The way you eliminate the T and the H is very well done. That's a strong. Yeah. I mean, you know Frank Caliendo, but I got to tell you, there's some possibilities there if you really work. Which I won't. Okay. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. We just got a couple good takes. We got the uh, Porzingis hot take coming in as well. And, uh, and then luck. What does luck have to do with it? We'll get to that next. Your feedback coming up. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. David Locke making an appearance on the show. I just talked to somebody in the bubble. On the eight-second call, Rudy Gobert grabs the rebound, comes down with it. Jokic knocks it out of bounds. So Donovan inbounds with 22 on the clock. But with only six seconds, pretty big difference to get across the half line. So I think he has a mental clock that tells him how long it is. And he went to that mental clock, but he was two seconds short. On radio, we didn't have that. You know, we're in an arena. We would have noticed that the shot clock was at 21.8 or something rather than 24, right? And we don't have that view. David, thanks for calling in. Crucial info. That explains so much. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time for your feedback. And it's brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. PK, normally I would think that you would go to the gym, hop on the treadmill, and watch NBA playoff basketball, but... The Magic have just ruled out Aaron Gordon and Michael Carter-Williams for today's Game 1 against Milwaukee. Is there any way that's going to be a good game? Because I'm thinking, no. Uh, Probably not, no. Obviously, uh, it's going to make it less of a probability. I would think Milwaukee would win anyway. But yeah, for sure, what's going on there? Reggie Jackson is tweeting, not at us, but uh, at Fernando Tatis, who hit a grand slam homer. On a 3-0 count when his team was already up 10-3 late in the game. Grand Slam homer, huh? Grand Slam home run! You just want to keep talking and saying good stuff because it's your team. Or in my case, my team. Uh, Fernando Tatis, Reggie Jackson. By the way, his Twitter handle is at Mr. October. I don't know. I find that cool. Uh, Fernando Tatis, keep playing hard and great. It's a pleasure to watch you play. Love your success and the Padres rise to be a winner. Keep leading the way. It ain't easy to hit homers. Keep bringing the energy you have to the game. We need players like you. An all-star. Gotten a thousand retweets. Okay, what's that have to do with swinging on a three-zero pitch when you're up big? He's just pumping him up. He didn't tell him that that was okay because oh. I don't think he thinks it's okay, but he views it as kind of uh, a footnote. Well, when you look at a Dominican player, he has the ability. I don't know that it'll be in the market. We'll have to see what happens. But he has the ability to supersede what's all of the great Dominican players have done, and that's Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz come to mind. And yeah, and not just be a great player, but you have to have a full understanding of English, which he does. He's, he's His father played in the bigs, and they made him had take English when he was a kid. I've seen documentaries on him. Plus, he's got tremendous flair. He loves the flair. Tons he of loves charisma. The spotlight. Yep. And he's willing to be interviewed, and he's funny, 
and he's got a lot of energy, and he certainly has all the talent in the world. I had an opportunity to see him before his rookie season in spring training where he literally scored from first base on a single to left center, and it was not where he was running with the pitch. No. The kid can do it all. He is just wildly talented, plus he's got a flair for the game. You know, Mike Trout's got all that, but he doesn't have the flair. You know what I mean? He's sort of a quiet, reserved dude. The the charisma factor, and I follow some of the San Diego media on Twitter, and they're tweeting out, you know, quotes and videos and all that, and the fun factor with Tatis is off the charts. Yeah, so he can be a Dominican star in the U.S., there's, and he can supersede whatever Dominican star you put up there. And I, to me, Pedro and uh, Ortiz, and I'm probably missing some guys, but those just come to me off the top of my head as far as being guys that people really rally around. Robinson Cano is up there, too. Uh, I think, I think Pedro's a really good one because he had, he had the charisma big time. It was a little different Ortiz. He was such a late bloomer. Um, and Tatis is doing it at such a young age. Yeah, and you got to have the grasp of the language. Like Vladimir Guerrero never, I don't even think he ever learned English, or at least never spoke English, but maybe he did and didn't feel comfortable. But Tatis has been bilingual. He's only 21, but he's been bilingual probably since he was a little boy. Uh, Jill, uh, (laughs) how does PK not know who Steve Javi is? She thinks you were playing dumb. Didn't know who Steve Javi was. He was an NBA ref for like 30 years. I don't get into referees. He says, by the way, she says, it doesn't look ejection-worthy, but Porzingis still needs to keep us cool. Just don't show other players. Yeah, it wasn't ejection-worthy. That, that those two T's, either, either one of them could have been overlooked. I had no problem tea. with what he did in the second one. In the first one, you give a guy a T, you tell him to shut up, and whatever. And fine. I don't really care about that. But the second one, I have no problem with what he did. He's sticking up for his guy. And he's the franchise. Doncic is the franchise. And it's the first game. You're setting the tone. How many times have we seen that? You know, guys want to set the tone early. We're going to take your crap. (laughs) Chris Webber and John Stockton and all that stuff. We've seen that a million times over. It's gamesmanship. So you you can't let the other guy get the upper hand mentally. So you step in, hey, bleep you, bleep you, blah, 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 and it's over. Uh, Next thing you know, the guy's walking off the floor. Tom wants to know, did PK talk to his neighbors who don't watch Donovan anymore about this 57-point game? I didn't yesterday. I went out looking for people. Did you really? Because I was immediately going to say, I wonder, I I don't think you initiate those conversations. I don't. I think they come to you. They do. Yeah. But this time he scored 57, so I want to know what they think. I'm going to ask somebody today. I promise you. Okay. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Scotty and Hands are next.